0: Good morning, Hope failed. Good to see everybody. Let's rise up and worship the Lord today this glorious day. I was buried beneath my shame. And who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb, Jesus, till I met you. And I was breathing, but not alive. And all my failures, I tried to hide. It wasn't my till I met. Your freedom is all. So glad you're here, everybody, packed house today. You know what, if you would, before you have a seat, um, we'll have you scoot in towards center to make room for people as they're coming in to try to find some more seats. Uh, and in the meantime, why don't you just turn around and say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thank you so much.
1: Well, I have a couple announcements that I just want to kind of make us aware of as a church family. Um, one, if you've been coming to Hopeville for a little while, maybe even a short little while, and you want to know uh, the answers to questions like who are we as a church? Or uh, what do we believe? Or how do you fit into all of this? Um, Get to know Hopevale is going to be next week. um, And it is at 1230 in the venue. So if you go out these doors and straight down that hallway that way, um, it's going to be there. And you can sign up at both of the desks in the lobby if you're interested in Get to know Hopevale. That's next week, all right? Today is... Mother's Day and so we wanted to say a very happy Mother's Day to all of the moms who are in attendance with us today. We want you to feel loved and encouraged um, on a day like today. We want to celebrate you but we also want to say that you know we recognize that Mother's Day isn't always easy for everybody and that there may be um, some with us where this day brings different kind of emotions and different feelings and so we just wanted to recognize you too and say um, we love you and we hope that today's service will be uh, a bit of an encouragement you as well. Um, we're going go to go to a time of, of collecting our offering today. In Luke chapter 3, Jesus said this. He said, the man who has two shirts is to share with him who, who has none, and, and if you have food, to do likewise. And, and what he's really getting at is at the heart of generosity. It's being a, a generous person, being willing to live open-handed, and, and we as a church, we want to strive to be that, and that's why we give. We don't give out of compulsion. We don't give out of guilt. We give out of being generous people. And wanting to, to be loving towards other people and being open-handed and giving towards other people. And so we hope that that would be something that would characterize us, is generosity. And so as we give this morning, may we give out of that spirit of generosity. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we, um, we thank you for a moment where we can bring um, these children back to you. Um, we, we thank you for moments where we can bring our worship to you. And we thank you for moments where we can bring Um, just a little bit back of what you've blessed us with to give back to you. God, we want to be generous people. We want to be people who love you, who love others, and who live open-handed. And so, God, as we prepare to give back this offering, knowing you're going to take it and bless others with it, you're going to do amazing things with it, we just want to say thank you, we love you, and we want to live a generous life towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Let's worship together as we give. Just go ahead and remain seated for a few moments. you he- So much for that reminder of the power of the cross and what you've done for us. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, um, that's that's right at the foundation of what it's all about. Um, for what you've done for us, it's the turn of all of time. Um, you created the world, God, and then you saved the world, and we thank you for that. So, God, we honor you as our Creator today. Jesus, we honor you as our Savior. Holy Spirit, we honor you as our comforter and our friend, and our the challenger and the convictor of our faith. And so uh, today, wherever we are, God, we pray that you just continue to draw us closer, uh, whether uh, we're across the line of faith or not. Today's a day with a type of sermon we have coming up that uh, relates to every single one of us. And for those of us who have known you and walked with you for some time, we can call out to the God of the universe and say, God, would you be closer as we draw near? And for those of us who maybe haven't followed you for any length of time, really, um, I pray today uh, is a day where we come closer to knowing you and finding out what this life is all about. So Lord, we love you and thank you for the opportunity to serve you and sing to you and worship you today. It's in your name we pray, amen. God bless you, gang. Have a seat.
2: Good morning, everyone. I'm Dan Davis, Senior Pastor here at Hopewell. It is such a joy for me to share this special day with you. Also, want to welcome those of you worshiping with us in Bay City. Great to have you on board. Now, last week was a very unique for unique week for us as a, a church. Some of you may not know this, but after the 9:30 service last week, after I was done teaching and said amen. I hopped behind the stage, took off my microphone, jumped in my car, and drove to Bay City. Going the speed limit all the way, by the way. Um, so I could be there in person to share the same message at the 10:30 service there. It was great. I gotta tell you that as I drove up 75 turned off Wilder Road, turned on Two Mile, turned on to Kiesel and approached John Glenn High School. Uh, It was really emotional for me to see the signs set up, to see the cars in the lot and to walk in and for my first Sunday there to experience the life and the vitality of what's happening up in Bay City. It is really tremendous to see what God is doing through Pastor Steve up there and through the committed core of people who really are there to celebrate and to share the hope of Jesus Christ with others in Bay City. You know, that's why we exist as a church. We, we are a community of grace and truth. We're inviting people to know and follow Jesus with us. And we're just four months into it. And I can tell you, since we've launched, we're already seeing God work. We're seeing people new to Hopewell who've never stepped foot on this campus. Being there, worshiping, rediscovering hope, it's really tremendous. And then, you know, I also got to say too, you know, 1115 here uh, deserves a lot of credit because when I was up there, we streamed uh, the 930 service for the people here. So really it was appreciative of the flexibility of the eleven. Uh, 15 service and once again um, just great to see that come together Uh, boy we by the way have an unbelievable group of people who serve behind the scenes in our tech ministry and every single sunday to make things happen on both campuses is tremendous so just a shout out to, to the guys and gals who do that And and that, by the way, that that goes both for uh, Saginaw and Bay City. It's just tremendous. takes a lot to pull it off, and they do it uh, with ease. Well, you know, enough about last week. Uh, Today is Mother's Day, and I want to join in in the Mother's Day wishes, express my appreciation to the moms here today. I want to affirm, you know, the dignity and the nobility of the high calling of motherhood. Moms, we know your work is hard. We know that it's often underappreciated, and that it can be incredibly heartbreaking at times, right? But even in those moments, don't ever forget that it's worth it. It's worth it. Remember in those times when you make sacrifices and it feels like nobody notices, God notices, He does. He sees it all, and he honors every single choice that you make to put the needs of others ahead of your own, right? So thanks to all the moms with us here today, and as I'm giving thanks to that, I want to give a special thanks to my own mom. She lives out in Wenatchee, Washington, other side of the country. Happy Mother's Day to you, Mom. And boy, you know, talk about someone who was there for me, including... uh, Wow, during a very difficult season in her own life, following a painful divorce, and you know, involved in my life as a single mom in my high school years. And I share that with you, because I know we've got some single moms here today. Um, you need to know that what you do matters. You need to know that you are not a second-class mom. And I think those uh, moms, those of us who, you know, maybe are, are in a different situation, we don't fully understand what you're going through, but we want to validate what you're doing, right? And we want you, too, to know that this is your church family. And so don't be afraid to reach out for strength and support, for, for fellowship, for friendship, because we're in this together, and, and we just love that you are committed to this calling of motherhood. So today is Mother's Day, and in addition to today being Mother's Day, today is also the kickoff of a brand new series we're doing called It Is Well. It Is Well, Finding Peace in an Anxious World. Now, you need to know that it wasn't my original intention, right, to start a series on worry and anxiety on Mother's Day, okay? Right? It it really wasn't. But, you know, with the ice storm a few weeks ago and we canceled church and we had to shuffle a few Sundays around, right? So as a result, here we are in what is either the worst time series kickoff ever, or maybe just maybe it's the most cleverly synchronized connection between a high calling and a constant condition the high calling of motherhood and the constant condition of worry that mothers experience. Because let's face it, while we all worry, while we all get anxious, you could argue that moms, more than the rest of us, worry far greater and far more often. Really, as a matter of fact, some moms, maybe they're here today, you have made worry into an art form, right? I mean, think about it, right? When we were growing up, Who was it who thought to write our names in our underwear in case we were in an accident and needed to be notified? Was it dad? No. No, it was mom. By the way, what kind of mind really thinks that way, right? But that's my dad. I mean, dad would be like, if we got hit, it's like, kid, shake it off. It's a flesh wound, right? You know, but moms, man, they're worrying about us all the time. You know, more seriously, though, one of my favorite quotes about motherhood goes something like this, that a mom is only doing as well as her most hurting child. How true, right? A mom is only doing as well as her most hurting child. So even if everything's going well with the rest of her kids, one child is struggling. (laughs) The anxiety of her heart is tied to that one. And by the way, as I've seen and heard from moms in our church, that's not just when they're younger and under your own roof. No, that carries on, right? That concern well into adulthood when they're all grown up and moved out, right? And so as long as there are what-ifs in the world, moms will worry. And continue to worry, but as I said, they're not the only ones. And let's face it, we all get anxious. We all deal with worry. We do. I mean, look to the left, look to the right, look straight ahead, look up on stage, look on the screen, right? You are looking at someone who deals with worry, Because as long as we live in this frightening world of ours with our finite limitations, where we can only do so much about stuff that's so huge, as long as that is our reality, this side of heaven, we are always going to have to battle with anxious thoughts and fretful feelings. And while I believe worry and anxiety have always been a human problem since the beginning of time, right, going all the way back to Adam and Eve when they disobeyed God and ate that fruit from the forbidden tree, And yet now, in 2018, it feels like we're living in unprecedented times. But don't just take my word for it. Look at this headline from the Los Angeles Times this past week. I mean, just this past week. It's not you. We're all living in the United States of anxiety. USA. USA, right? Look at that date. May 8th, 2018. And the article begins with these words. Feeling more anxious these days? You've got plenty of company. A new survey by the American Psychiatric Association reveals that 39% of Americans feel more anxious now than they did just a year ago. That's more than double than the 19% of Americans that feel less anxious now than they did last year. 39% feel more anxious, almost four out of 10 compared to last year. And in that survey... There were plenty of things that people said they worried about. Top of the list was safety concerns, 67%. Two out of every three Americans describe themselves as either extremely anxious or somewhat anxious about keeping themselves or their families safe. Right underneath that, financial worries, health concerns, right, closely behind. And generally speaking, more women struggle with anxiety than men. So for adults 50 and over, It was 39% of women, 24% of men. But you go younger than 50, the numbers sky even higher. 57%, women under 50, 38% of men said they had become more anxious in the past year. And see, with anxiety, there's not just that gender gap, there's also an age gap. The survey said that millennials, more than any other adult group in America, are the most anxious, right? compared to baby boomers, compared to Gen Xers. And those trends of increasing anxiety, they extend even younger. And so the National Survey of Children's Health for ages 6 to 17, researchers found a 20% increase in the diagnoses of anxiety between 2007 and 2012, and I would imagine those numbers have gone up. According to the National Institute of Health, nearly a third of all adolescents ages 13 to 18 Oh, this one was wild, right? So nearly a third of all adolescents, 13 to 18, will be diagnosed with some kind of anxiety disorder during their lifetime. Among girls, 39, 38%, outpaces boys, 26%, which means that anxiety is the most common mental health disorder in the United States. And then I also came across this hotline this past week, Philadelphia Inquirer. A depression among teens and millennials is on the rise, Blue Cross Blue Shield study finds, right? And so diagnosed cases of depression, often linked to anxiety and worry, have skyrocketed, especially among millennials and adolescents, according to Blue Cross. Depression diagnoses surged 33% from 2013 to 2016, Blue Cross said. And listen to this, during that period, depression among the network's adolescents, right, they can track that medically, like data, right, rose 63% over four years. I mean, that's insane. Psychologist Robert Leahy made this observation. He says that the average child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient in the 1950s. We all live in anxious times. There is more change happening in our lives than than ever before, and the pace of our lives is quicker than ever before. And it's not just what's happening around us, it's also what's happening within us. Psychologists point to an increase in family instability and emotional abandonment, and that in turn heightens these feelings of insecurity and vulnerability. I mean, folks, let's face it, anxiety is a problem that we all have to deal with, and it's not going away anytime soon. It's not, but for some of you here, you already knew that, didn't you? You did, and it's not because you did a bunch of research on your own. No, you knew that because you live with it every day. Every day. It's been part of your own personal journey for a long, long time, right? whether others know that about you or not. And I say that not to, you know, single you out. I say that not to make you feel uncomfortable. I say that just to acknowledge and validate the reality of what you're going through and to highlight why it is so important for us as a church to talk about that together. So let's do this, right? Let's, let's do this. And to begin our look at anxiety, I want to start by taking some time up front To lay a foundation for this series. More specifically, I want to walk through four foundational principles that are going to undergird every single Sunday of this series, including today. Four foundational principles as we approach a conversational look at worry and anxiety. So here's the first. Anxiety is a common experience. Anxiety is a common experience. I want you to hear this because you need to know that you're not the only one wrestling with worry and anxiety. You're not. And you need to know that you're not in this alone. And it's so important for you to get this because anxiousness can make us feel that way, right? Worries can so easily multiply within us. Messes with our minds where we think, I really am this freak of nature, right? Especially like on a Sunday church, you come together where everyone looks put together and you feel like your life's falling apart. Listen, you're not the only one. Now, when I say that, let me be clear. You know, there's varying degrees of worry, of anxiety among us, right? We don't all experience it the same. We don't experience it in the same intensity or at the same frequency or from the same causes, you know? So in that case, it's unique to every one of us, right? There are some differences, but overall, no one's exempt, right? Anxiety is a common experience. Second, anxious People aren't always faithless people. Anxious people aren't always faithless people. We're in a church, right? And I'm a pastor, and so we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about the importance of us being able to trust God in the midst of our storms. As a matter of fact, our faith in God, that's going to be a huge part of this series, and so I don't want to downplay that, right? So when I say anxious people aren't always faithless people, I'm certainly not trying to diminish the role of faith, Diminish the power of God to help us overcome our anxiousness. Plus, actually, there are some times when a lack of faith could be the cause of our anxiety, okay? It could. But, and this is very important, I want you to listen to this, right? While a lack of faith could be the cause of our anxiety, it doesn't automatically mean that a lack of faith must be the cause of our anxiety. Can I say that again? Well, a lack of faith could be the cause of our anxiety. A lack of faith doesn't automatically mean that it must be the cause of our anxiety, right? That it's only somehow because we lack faith that we don't have the same kind of faith as the person next to us, that we're feeling the way we do. That's just plain wrong. And it's crucial we understand that, not just for ourselves, but also for others. So yes, as a church, we want to point people to faith in God, we do, but we also need to be really careful here, right? really careful about judging others, about diagnosing their problems with anxiety, right? Somehow thinking we've got the answers to their problems. Unfortunately, there have been times where we've really blown this as Christians, right? That for those of us who may not wrestle with anxiety to the degrees that others do, we can get prideful and we can really look down on those who are genuinely struggling. We can shame them about their lack of faith, We can judge them about trusting in the meds we know they take instead of the God we think they're ignoring, right? Now, the truth is we don't know all the facts. Truth is we're not God. And so we better not be quick to jump to conclusions about why someone's going through what they're going through. So personally, if you don't have to take prescription meds to help you deal with an anxiety order, be thankful to God for that, right? Right? Be thankful for God and stop being so judgy about it with others. Because anxious people, they're not always faithless people. Third, there are no magic fixes for anxiety. There are no magic fixes for anxiety. Scripture teaches that we as people are created in God's image and that we are wonderfully made. Wonderfully made. The fact that you are human means that you have intrinsic worth and inherent value to God. It's awesome. It also means that your body, your soul, your mind, and spirit have all been woven together by God to make you this complex and yet whole person. And the reason I mention that is because the solution to something that is so vexing as worry and anxiety isn't just physical. In other words, there's no one pill out there that's going to fix you completely. Now, there certainly is a place for proper medical treatment for those with anxiety disorders, but they're, they're often more about coping than curing. Prescriptions can help, but on their own, they're probably not going to solve. And tragically, some people have over-relied on that kind of help, which only in turn creates even greater problems, often resulting in addictions. Same is true with counseling. right? Addressing mental, emotional issues in our lives. Counseling is and can be an incredible help in the healing process, but we are more than just emotional creatures too. We're also more than just spiritual creatures. Now, I believe in a God who can do the miraculous. I believe in a God who can bring about supernatural transformation in our lives just like that, right? I mean, the Gospels of the New Testament are filled with real, factual, historical Jesus stories of him doing that kind of work. So God, yes, can do the instantaneous, but it doesn't always mean that he will. No, often it seems like more, more and more healing miracles today, they're, they're subtle. They're stretched out over time where God often uses multiple instruments to help us overcome our anxiety. And then on top of the, the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual, there's also a so, social side to who we are, right? People matter, relationships matter, friendships matter, and we're going to touch on this more later on in this series, but I think the most underrated tool God can use in our coping and our curing when it comes to worrying anxiety issues is the involvement of other caring people in our lives. And I'm not talking about paid professionals, Right? I'm not talking about medical doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists. I mean, they're, they're valuable. No, when I say this, I'm talking about ordinary, run-of-the-mill, everyday people like you and me. See, studies show, scripture teaches that we can make positive difference in the lives of others. We really can. That is why I am such a firm believer in the healing power of the church as a healing community, a caring community community, a restorative community, right? We can be that for each other. And so you put that all together, here's the point. Even though we live in a culture, right, that makes big promises and offers quick solutions, the reality is there's no magic fix, right? One thing that's going to take all our anxiety away right away. There isn't, and the more we believe that, The more we keep chasing after that one missing piece we think is still out there, the more we're just going to spiral downward even further in despair and disappointment when those things fail to deliver. Why? Because there are no magic fixes for anxiety. But finally, and most importantly, Jesus offers genuine peace for our anxiety. Jesus offers genuine peace. For anxiety, There is a reason why the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, seven centuries before the birth of Jesus, looked into the future at the coming Messiah and foretold that he would be the prince of peace. The prince of peace, the bringer of shalom. It's also the same reason why Jesus spoke often about worry and anxiety because he knew that this was a universal human problem. Jesus also knew this about ourselves that we would go anywhere, try anything to try to find peace in this anxious world of ours even if it means disobeying him and destroying ourselves. So in the midst of all these misleading dead ends Jesus gives us these comforting words a promise that he makes in the Gospel of John chapter 14 verse 27 hold on to this one. And Jesus says Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives, right? I love that contrast. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And so while there might not be any magic fixes out there, there is a peace, there is a real peace, there is a genuine peace, there is a lasting peace, there is a prevailing peace that doesn't deny the reality of our worry and anxiety, but the peace of Jesus that overcomes our worry and anxiety. See, the only reason I can approach a daunting series like this with such confidence is solely because of Jesus. And so while he might not give us the magic we want, he does offer us the peace we need. Now listen, I know that every Sunday I stand up here that I'm speaking to a wide range of people who attend our services and listen to the messages And this wide range of people isn't just true with, you know, our worry and anxiety struggles. It's also true with our spiritual journey and where we are in our personal knowledge and experience of the Jesus I'm talking about. And so wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, right, the good news is that Jesus will meet you right where you are. He will. You know, whether you know a lot, whether you know a little, whether you know nothing at all. Because Jesus doesn't reserve his peace for the insider, the initiated, and the informed. No, he offers genuine peace to everyone who's willing to seek, seek him, to just take a step toward him and reach out in faith. And that's really, you know, one of the reasons we exist as a church. It's a huge reason, to help you take your next step toward Jesus, wherever you might be in your spiritual journey. So my prayer for you, and all throughout this series... So we talk about finding peace in an anxious world is that you'd be willing to take that step. And that the Jesus we talk about is the Jesus that you will come to know personally. And we'd love to help you along the way with that. Why? Because Jesus offers genuine peace for our anxiety. So those are our four foundations for this series moving forward. But for the rest of today, I'm gonna turn the corner. I'm gonna begin to explore further what this genuine peace in the midst of our anxiety looks like. And to do that, we're going to go back in time, right? We're going to go back to the life of Jesus 20 centuries ago. And we're going to look at a story where his peace and our anxiety come clashing together. So if you have a Bible with you, if a paper one, an electronic version, get on your phones, whatever, you can turn with me to the New Testament book of Mark chapter 4. You can go on our uh, mobile app or the the Bible app as well, or we'll have the verses on the screens as well. But Mark chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 35, and before we look at that passage together, I want to set the stage, right? That as we read this story, think about the context. Bible scholars believe that Jesus was 33 years old when he was crucified. 33! 33! And yet, 95% of what's written in the Bible about the life of Jesus here on this earth focuses on his final three years of ministry. 33 years old, but those last three years of teaching, of performing miracles, of confronting corrupt religious leaders, of training his disciples to carrying on his mission after he left them. So before then, though, before those three years, of mission and ministry, it seems like, as best as we can understand, that Jesus lived a rather obscure life as a small-town carpenter. It's part of the family business, right? And that he practiced the Jewish religion of his own parents. In other words, up to age 30 and beyond, or up to age 30, he really wasn't a big deal and certainly wasn't well-known. And the reason I tell you that is because the Jesus story we're about to read involves his disciples who are early on in those three ministry years with Jesus. And you know what? They thought about Jesus more like that, right? The common, ordinary, small-town carpenter. That's the Jesus they thought of more than the Jesus we know now 2,000 years later on the other side uh, of the Bible, on the other side of Jesus' crucifixion, on the other side of Jesus' resurrection, on the other side of Jesus' ascension into heaven, right? No, they're early on in trying to grasp who Jesus is. So as they're listening to his incisive teaching, as they're witnessing his incredible miracles, they're just starting to think that maybe there is more to this Jesus of Nazareth than they first thought. And so you come to Mark chapter 4, right, and their experiences are building with Jesus. As a matter of fact, early on in Mark chapter 4, they spent the day listening to Jesus teach thousands of people about the kingdom of God he did so on the shore the northern shore of the the sea of Galilee it's in the northern part of Israel it's where Jesus grew up it's where these guys were from right it was very familiar surroundings so full day of ministry full day of teaching we pick things up Mark chapter 4 verse 35 that day when evening came he Jesus said to his disciples let us go over to the other side right they're in one place on the shore of the, the Sea of Galilee. They're going to do another part on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now remember, Jesus is what? He's a carpenter by trade. But a lot of the disciples were what? Fishermen, right? Fishermen. And unlike some of you guys here, it wasn't just their hobby, that was their profession. Right? They did that for a living. Not only that, but the Sea of Galilee, that was their work site. I mean, some of these guys literally grew up boating and fishing right there. They knew those waters backwards and forwards, right? It's their turf. Sea of Galilee, verse 37. So they're leaving. They're, they're heading to the other side, and it says a furious squall came up, and then the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, I've shared this with you before, right? But but the Sea of Galilee is really more like a lake size-wise. It's certainly smaller than any one of our uh, great lakes, right? It's a decent-sized lake, but you can certainly see to the other side, right? So it's not ginormous, right? But, you know, even to this day, the locals will tell you that these storms, these furious squalls can come out of nowhere on what appears to be a you know, rather pleasant day, just out of nowhere, and that's what happens here. It's overwhelming, it's unexpected. And so the disciples, right? even these fishermen, they start to get anxious, verse 38. When Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, the disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Jesus is sleeping, why? Because he's human. He's just finished this full day of teaching to thousands of people. So the disciples wake him. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown now? Hold on to that phrase. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Verse 39. Then he, Jesus, got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Chaos to calm. Now, some of us here have heard this story before. I mean, we've heard it a lot before, but don't be jaded, right? Try to picture yourself in that boat with Jesus. The Jesus who they're still trying to figure out who this guy is, right? He stands up in the midst of the storm, right in that boat, rebukes the wind. He commands the waves, and this violent storm turns to complete calm just like that. I mean, incredible. Verse 40 then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, come on, if we were there, we'd be freaking out too. I mean, we would. I'm relieved that the storm's over. But in the same breath, also, just an absolute shock that this Jesus they're getting to know made that happen with a spoken word. Now, by this point, they had seen him perform miracles, right? He had performed healing miracles, people's lives, you know, restored and made whole. But possessing such authority over the, the violent forces of nature, I mean, they'd never seen, they'd never experienced anything like that, right? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, now, the reason I wanted to share this story with you doesn't just have to do with Jesus, Right? and what he does in this, but it also has to do with us and the nature of our own worry and anxiety. See, because when you look at this story, it's like looking in the mirror, that at the heart of anxiousness, there are these two dominating thoughts we have, right? It's out of control. I'm in it alone. It's out of control, and I'm in it alone, It's out of control. See, anxiety isn't about problems in life, okay? No, it's about the problems in life we can't solve on our own. There are these threats we see, real or perceived, and they are greater than our ability, right? We can't handle it. I mean, after all, we all have a need for safety. We all have a desire for control. But when threats like that comes, you know, they're under attack. That's when the panic sets in. The examples that we go through are endless, like taking exams when we're not fully prepared, asking someone out on a date, flying on an airplane, stepping into a crowded room, facing a mountain of debt, or boating in a storm. Anxiety strikes when we feel like we're losing control and there's nothing we can do about it. And then second, I'm in it alone. You know, it's bad enough when you you feel like things are out of control, but then when it also seems like no one can help you or no one wants to help you, (laughs) That's when the anxieties multiply even further. You go back to to, to what we just read in Mark chapter 4, right? The disciples wake Jesus up in the midst of the storm and the the only thing they can think to say to him is what? Don't you care if we drown? It's a panicky question. It's one that clearly went against everything they knew about Jesus up to that point, right? But in that anxious moment... With all this chaos around them, they genuinely believe that Jesus didn't care about what was happening to them. It's out of control. I'm in it alone. These are the two dominating thoughts in our minds and our hearts that drive our anxiety. But see, here's the good news. While we can't control everything, Jesus can, and he does. There's no threat too big, there's no problem too great that's going to overwhelm Jesus. Jesus. No, his math equation goes something like this. My ability is greater. Greater than whatever you think, whatever you feel is threatening you. It's greater. See, what I love about the story of Jesus, what I love about the miracles that are recorded in the Gospels that he performed, all those stories, it's like Jesus is going down a list of all the possible things we worry about. And he's crossing them off one by one. We worry about sickness, disease, there's a miracle for that. Paralysis, deafness, blindness, there's a miracle for that. We worry about running out of provisions and basic needs. There's a miracle for that, where Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fish. We worry about the forces of nature and what surrounds us. There's a miracle for that. We worry about evil and the demonic world. There's a miracle for that. We worry about our greatest foe we'll ever face, death. And guess what, there's a miracle for that. Actually, not just when Jesus raises his dear friend Lazarus to life, but it's he himself coming out of the grave after three days. See, the point is, whatever the threat is, real or perceived, Jesus is greater than that. But even beyond his ability, his power and control, Jesus also cares for us. And so we're not in it alone. We're not. We're not alone when the chaos comes, when life feels out of control. Now, in the case of the disciples going through that storm, this is just speculation on my part, but I think that Jesus wanted to teach them more about his power. And so we let things go on for a little bit. Why? To put them in a position to learn, position, to learn in a way that they would never forget, right? I mean, we know that's to be true. It's one thing to read it in a book. It's one thing to hear in a sermon that Jesus is powerful. But it's another thing to experience that power personally in the midst of our anxiety, right? See, the story reminds us, by the way, that our storms aren't the same as his indifference. Likewise, his inactivity is not the same as his inability. And so if Jesus doesn't act right away when we call out to him, then he must have a greater reason for that, that we as mere humans cannot simply understand in the moment. Because whatever it might be, right, it's got us anxious. I can guarantee you that it's not a lack of love on his part, and it's certainly not a lack of power. See, at the heart of peace is this simple truth. Jesus cares for you, and he is in control. Jesus cares for you and he is in control, that he offers a genuine peace for our anxiety. And he would love for you to know that and experience that personally in your life. Like I said before, you know, anxiety is complex and it's not always due to a lack of faith. But as disciples in this story show us, sometimes it is. It is. And so as I wrap things up, let me ask you, you know, where in your life, what are you going through right now where you feel like, it's out of control and I'm in it alone. It's out of control and I'm in it alone. Think about that. You know, my encouragement to you is to look, to look to Jesus. Take a step toward Him. Reach out in faith. Invite Jesus into that thing that's overwhelming you, that's making you anxious. So instead of clinging onto it with tight fists, Release it to him with open hands. Release it to him with a heart who trusts in the one who is greater so that he can provide his prevailing peace to your anxious heart. Who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, this is Jesus. Jesus, he cares for you and he is in control. Let's pray together. God, on this special day of worship, on this Mother's Day, on this day where we have rejoiced with moms and, and families, we also recognize who we are in this overwhelming, chaotic world. And in that, there is worry. There is anxiety. And while it might, might look different for each one of us, comes in all shapes and sizes different amounts of intensity, different causes, different frequency. Lord, we realize that we're just too small. The threats are too big. God, thank you. Thank you that you have sent your son Jesus and that he offers us genuine peace in the midst of our anxiety and that he is in control and that he cares for us. God, my prayer for every one of us in here is that instead of feeling bound and captive, our eyes would look up to Jesus. Our eyes would look beyond the threat and see the Prince of Peace. God, I'm not saying there's a magic fix, but there is a peace, a peace that transcends all our understanding, a peace that is truly supernatural, a peace made possible by Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and a victory and a life that conquers all. And so wherever people may be today, may today be a day of a step forward, of a reaching out, to the one who truly is the Prince of Peace. We pray in his name, the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.
0: So this last song we're going to sing is called It Is Well. It's uh, titled after our series title. If you've never heard the old hymn, It Is Well, it was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford back in the 1800s. He got word that his wife and his children uh, were in a really bad boat boating accident. They were traveling back and forth between America and Britain, and um, all of his children died, and his wife made it. And he's on the boat traveling to go get his wife. And these, uh, he writes, uh, "When sorrows like sea billows roll," he's in this ship, and sea billows are rolling. He says, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, God, whatever happens, you've taught me to say that it's well with my soul. And um, there's another uh, church that has put out a lot of music that uh, we love and they did sort of a retake, uh, uh, revision of that and did this song. So uh, wherever you are in life, whatever's happening, uh, whatever's going on, a sermon like today can remind us to have faith that God is in control, and that even the wind and the waves know the name of Jesus. Let's stand and sing this song before we leave, friends.
3: I'll be here for you.
2: moment of worship together, that even in the midst of our storms, we worship and serve and a trust in a Savior who's got us in the palm of his hands. And because of that, it is, well, next week we'll continue this series about seeking well in our life again. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms here today. We have a photo station out in the lobby, a way to capture the moment and the specialness of this day. But as you go from here, may you look to the Savior who is greater than your circumstances, always. God bless you.